welcome to Revolutionary Women. My name is Tess Silverman. Women around the world are constantly creating ways to make a difference in their communities, and today's guest is no exception. Hello, Rev Women listeners. August is American Artist Appreciation Month. To honor this event, I decided to re-release the episode featuring Jeannie James, photographer, artist, and Alaskan pilgrim. Jeannie is an award-winning photographer, sculptor, and potter. She was raised in Homer, Alaska, a beautiful town that helped create the foundation for her journey in art, adventure, and travel. Jeannie is an adventurist who has backpacked all over Europe, lived on a kibbutz in Israel, was a deckhand, filleted huge halibut in Alaska, been a tour director through the Canadian Rockies, climbed the pyramids in Egypt, floated in the Dead Sea, scuba dived in the Red Sea, explored the Tahitian islands and people, hiked in Australia, and worked on luxury cruise ships traveling the world. Also known as the Alaskan Pilgrim on YouTube, she hiked 556 miles solo across Spain on a sacred pilgrimage called El Camino de Santiago in 2018. Jeannie created, designed, and leads women's art retreats she calls Untethered, a creative adventure for women to reboot, refill, and feed women's souls through art, hiking, music, food, and inspiration. Hi, Jeannie. Welcome to Revolutionary Women. How are you? Doing good, Tess. Good to talk to you. Same here. I am so looking forward to this conversation. Um, and and I want to start off by uh, saying that, you know, I, I'm, I've learned a lot about you the last couple of days. So I want our listeners to also get to know you and what you're doing. So, but beforehand, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, oh, that's an awkward question, but I will. <laughs> um, so I was raised in Alaska in a little town, little kind of fish town called Homer, which is now kind of popular with some TV shows on Discover Channel. Oh. Um, at the time that I was being raised as a, as a young girl there, it was pretty primitive. Um, for about a year, we lived down in the woods. Uh, my parents bought some property down in the woods down there and they hauled down a single wide trailer on the property. We had a, uh, sawmill. And so my dad in the summer, my dad, and my brothers knocked down the trees on our property and they built basically like a, um, you know, double wide sort of thing. It was mm -hmm. made out of very rustic uh, hewn wood and it was it was very simple but real sweet that's where I was raised mm. for about a year we didn't have running water or electricity and um, it was it was a muddy road that we had to haul things up and down it was very very truly Alaskan experience and then as as you know the years went by it, it um, the pavement came out to the end and you know back in the day we had a CB we didn't have a phone we had oh, a CB wow. can you see that um, so yeah, it was it was a really interesting way to be raised, and I am always grateful for my experience of being raised as an Alaskan because to this day I appreciate warm water in a shower, and mm. I appreciate sidewalks and things like that. To this day, I wow. never take it for granted. Yeah, you know, for for so many of us who are so used to, I mean, I grew up in in a city, um, so for me it was like I always I was always surrounded by buildings so I wouldn't even know 
how that would have shaped me if I was in that kind of an environment. But everybody is different, of course. Um, But I, I think it's quite interesting that, you know, that your beginnings kind of shaped where you are now. So uh, I, I read that um, to raise money for uh, to raise money for college during the summers in Alaska, you would fillet halibut. Okay, so tell me about that. Uh, because I've <laughs> never known anyone who, yeah. who filleted halibut. So, yeah, so Homer is a beautiful town. They call it Hamlet by the sea. It's a beautiful little town, mm-hmm. um, right, right at the base center, uh, center, south central of Alaska. And it's known for its enormous halibut. It's called the halibut capital of the world. Oh. And so a lot of the people that live in our little town, um, are fishermen. That's what they do. In fact, three of my four brothers, were fishermen um, for at a time, and then my father was a diesel mechanic, and he worked out on the harbor fixing the engine on these boats. Oh, so wow. my brother, David, yeah, my brother David, uh, my brother Kipper was a captain of one of the boats. And my brother Greg was an engineer on one of these boats. My brother David was a deckhand mm-hmm. on a, and he was the one that taught me how to fillet. And so filleting the fish, uh, when these charter boats would come in. Oftentimes they would have these huge halibut that would that that they would bring in and hang for the tourists mm. and then take pictures and cars driving by would see these huge hanging. And so I got to be one of the lucky ones that that um, was a part of that. And at the time, there were only two female um, filayers. Now there's more. But it was kind of a it was kind of a cool thing to be a part of that back in the day. Wow. And yeah, me to go out and do my do my traveling and things. It paid my own way, so wow. it was nice. Yeah, I mean, from that, I read that you went to college on an art scholarship, but then you changed your path and graduated in travel and tourism hospitality. So why did you change your major from art to travel tourism? Well, it you know it was kind of twofold. Okay. I when I was in high school, uh, Homer. Is, is known as an artist community as well. Um, my teacher in high school was this really cool guy from California, a hippie. Mm-hmm. And he had studied in Japan and he was just this very, really free spirit. And I fell in love with Clay when I was about 15. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he saw that in me. And um, yeah, I got this little art scholarship that they put together. And I went to college in Hawaii because Hawaii and Alaska have an entrance state program where I didn't have to pay out of state tuition. And I thought that I would be an art teacher Uh going there thinking I would be an art teacher. But what happened was two things. I realized that being an art teacher, it was for me, it was going to take that kind of that organic passion away. It would be more of an assignment and I would be judging kids and stuff. And I, I didn't feel like that's the way I wanted to go. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that made that decision was, um, I was, I had a passion in, in sculpting and, and clay, mm-hmm. um, not in drawing or anything else. And in, in art, you have to do all kinds of things. And one of the things was a figure drawing class and I had never done it before. And I was in a class with, I don't know about, um, eight other people. We had easels in front of us. We were using charcoal and we had this gorgeous Hawaiian male model in front of us. (laughs) We couldn't see each other's work. 
And um, so the teacher said, you know, we'll we'll draw for about 30 minutes and take a break. So I didn't know what I was doing. sketched it out. And um, when we stood up to see other people's work, I was so embarrassed because mine looked like a cartoon. It was really like an outline of the, the person mm-hmm. where other people had three-dimensionally sculpted muscles and shade and light. And the teacher, I was already embarrassed, but the teacher then kind of laughed at me and said, you're in the wrong class. You don't need to be here. And I, and that was my first semester of all of this. And that's when I just realized that, you know what, I, I'm, I really suck at this. (laughs) This is not what I want to do. And, um, and yeah, I finished that semester and went back to, uh, you know, the office at school and I changed what, and I remember walking on the beach going, what do I love to do? Because I want to do something I love. And I had always, as a kid, had posters. I'd go down to the travel agency and I'd ask them for old posters that they would put, you know, on the wall. Oh, wow. Say, do you have any old posters? And they'd, they'd pull some out of the back and it would be like a, a cruise ship with palm trees in that really art deco look. Mm-hmm. And I would put those on my walls and kind of dream of of going places. And so I thought, that's what I want to do. I want to travel. I want to travel the world. That's a passion of mine. Mm. So I changed it to travel and tourism. And in the meantime of getting that degree, I was able to, um, one of my semesters was going to um, Israel and doing an undergraduate studies program over there. For mm-hmm. I lived over for about seven months on a kibbutz. Mm-hmm. And during that time, I was able to climb the pyramids of Egypt and and uh, scuba dive in the Red Sea and really like walk through history and study political science and geography and, and art and all these wonderful things um, and really just being exposed to these beautiful cultures. And I found that that is where I came alive is is hearing music and, and, and tasting new foods and hearing accents and seeing the way other people lived. It, it, it just made me come alive. And that's all I wanted to do. That's all I wanted to do. Oh, that's awesome. And when I, when I, when I was done with that semester, before I even left, I had arranged with two of my friends from Alaska that when my semester was done Mm -hmm. and this was, you know, in, in the time with no cell phones, they were going to on their own, go from Homer, Alaska and meet me in Paris at Charles de Gaulle Airport. Oh, wow. <laughs> so the only thing we had was each other's flight information. And and so we on faith were like, okay, guys, here's the date and here's our flights. Let's meet right here. We've never been there. And so I flew from Tel Aviv. Uh, I flew from Tel Aviv into Paris after, you know, seven months of being over there. And met these two guys. And if you've ever been to the Charles de Gaulle airport, it's like glass tubes Yeah, and I landed and they weren't there to meet me. Oh my me. gosh. And there was no way to reach them. So it was kind of like standing in the middle and looking at these tubes till I finally found them. Wow. And then we backpacked, we just had, I put everything in storage and kept a backpack and got a URL a map of mm-hmm. Europe. Mm-hmm. At the time you could have a, a a bus pass or a, a train pass, a URL pass and go anywhere in Europe for one price. And so we just started in Paris and we went north to Scandinavia and then down to, you know, we hit all the countries and went down to Italy and Greece and Spain. And then we ended in England and flew out. That was a six week trip. Wow. It was just super fun. So 
so many experiences that happened there, you can imagine. That's really amazing. I mean, so from that, you wound up working in cruise ships, correct? Yeah. Yes. How, yes. So how was that, going from backpacking and then transitioning yeah. into so working in cruise ships? Between all of these experiences, I would always fly back home and I would I would make money and then I would do my next adventure. And I, I was just, I'm one of those, I love to fly by the seat of my pants. I knew I would never be one that would be in a, in a stable career where you have, you know, um, your, your pension and, and, you know, your yearly salary that goes up. I mm-hmm. knew that would be me. I, I didn't want that. I wanted adventure. And I, even if it meant, you know, being without some things and making those sacrifices. So I would fly home, have an adventure and then see what other epic job I could get within travel and tourism. And so one of those was working on a cruise ship. Mm-hmm. And um, I flew out to Miami and I got on a ship and, and it was a, a, a line that wasn't the nicest at the time, but that opened doors to then work on other cruise lines with Royal Caribbean mm. and different positions. And that's where I met my husband, who at the time was the staff captain. Mm-hmm. And we fell in love on the ship and he was a New Yorker and we got married and got off the ships and moved up to New York. That's how we ended up up there. Oh, wow. That's really awesome. And, you know, I mean, just tying it all in, you know, from one uh-huh. uh, from one experience of maybe it's kind of extreme and then to another extreme, like, you know, in some kind of structure and then making a home for yourselves in yeah. the city, you know, uh, yes, yes. It's, it's pretty that's pretty that's pretty awesome. So really, and really what it is, is reinventing yourself wherever you're at. It's like you just adapt. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one thing that I did learn is, um, on the ships, I, I felt like I had, you know, established a reputation for who I was. Mm-hmm. And when I got married and I moved out of my world into Scott's world in New York, I didn't know anybody. Mm-hmm. And I was then kind of in quote Scott's wife and I felt mm. like I lost identity. And so what I did in that first year of marriage was realize I was kind of miserable where I had left everything that was mine. And I realized the only way to get that back, it's I don't I couldn't depend on anybody to make me happy but me. So that's my job. And so I I started my own business in New York. Um, I certified in personal training and I became a personal trainer. And at the school that he, uh, the maritime college that he worked at, they had a, a, a night program. And mm-hmm. I was able to start teaching at night. And then in the day, I would do personal training. And then on weekends, I had free. And so we could go skiing in Pennsylvania on the weekends, or I would go and meet friends in the city and go see Broadway shows. And mm-hmm. things. So it was just, it was just this free life. And then uh, about four years after we moved to New York, I got pregnant with my our twins. Mm-hmm. Right, I, I read that, and so yeah, you, so you went from tourism to personal training briefly, well for a few years, and then you got pregnant, and then from that, I mean, you, I read that you had experienced a difficult time after the birth of your twins. If you don't mind talking about that, I would love to find out. Yeah. What happened there? Well, what happened, I was I was super fit. You know, I was um, super fit. And I just thought I would 
give birth and then go right back, you know, to doing what I was doing. But instead, um, I was pregnant with twins, which affected my, my hormone level and made me really ill. Um, mm-hmm. I had severe hyperemesis where I was, oh, just constantly nauseous. And I was hospitalized. And then after a few weeks there, the insurance kicked us out mm-hmm. and then sent me home with a nurse. And then every day a nurse would come and, you know, I had an IV in for months, lost a lot of weight, um, in, in one room, uh, four walls. That was where I was. I was on bed rest. And so my life completely changed. And for my husband too, he was wonderful. He, he took care of me and, um, you know, he, I had to use a bedpan at one point. I was, Mm. you know, he was lifting my head to feed me a spoon of food. It was rough, Mm -hmm. but, um, we ended up having these beautiful, healthy babies and, um, we both were kind of ready for a change of New York Mm -hmm. and the opportunity came up where Disney cruise lines was just starting and he flew down to Orlando. He interviewed and he got the job as one of the original uh, officers on the Disney magic that was, that was in Italy. And so uh, that's how we ended up in Florida. Um, He got the job. He flew to Italy to help build the ship over there. And I flew down before he left. We flew down, uh, together, moved our stuff, put it in storage, rented a place on the beach, and then he left. And he was only supposed to be gone for a few months. And of course, everything is delayed. Nothing mm. is on time. And he was gone for six months. Wow. And during that time, the girls were now a year and a half. And I was really struggling. I was alone with them and um, exhausted and didn't know it at the time, but I was suffering from depression. Oh, okay. And so that's when, uh, you know, I, to tell you the story of my art, my art journey is after, after Hawaii, when I was kind of insulted, humiliated in front of the class and realized that the joy had gone out of it for me, just being graded with my assignments in art classes. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was no passion or, or, or anything organic from my soul. I didn't want to do that. I did not touch art again right? Not, not any of those years that I even mentioned that I was an artist. Mm -hmm. And, um, when I, uh, it got so bad down in Florida, when my, my girls were about two, two and a half that I thought I had cancer because what happened one day and people who might be listening, who have suffered from depression might know this feeling where I, I remember being in bed Mm-hmm. one morning and my little girls came in and they were tugging on me. They were hungry for breakfast. Scott was at work already. And, um, I couldn't, I just looked up at the, at the, at the fan and I was like, Oh my gosh, I, I can't get out of bed. Mm-hmm. And I, and I just kind of like, it felt like walking through cold molasses. I, I, I sludged into the kitchen. I could barely lift my arm to grab the box of cereal. It was like that overwhelming. And so I just knew that I must have cancer. There's something wrong with me. This is really bad. Mm-hmm. So I made an appointment with a doctor and I, and he's like, what's going on? And I said, I think that I have something really wrong with me. I think I have cancer because every, everything hurts. It's dark. I can't function. I can't focus. I, I, you know, just the list of things. So he took blood work called me back in. And I remember the drive to the the hospital. I was like, prepare yourself. You Mm -hmm. know, this is it. And I sat down and he, he had the papers in his hand and I was like, here it comes. And he said, well, you're perfectly healthy (laughs) because your blood work came back fine. And I was Uh like, what? 
Huh. And he said, yeah, you are, you are a perfect case of depression. You're a classic case oh, of depression. Wow. And mm-hmm. I fought him. I'm like, no, I, I'm not. I have all the blessings in the world. And he said, no. And, and he knew about my, my history of my pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And he said, sometimes what happens is you have a chemical imbalance. It happens to people. And you can't just pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Sometimes you need help. So he wrote me a little pad of script. He wrote me a script for Prozac for six months and he mm-hmm. handed, he tore it off and handed it to me. And he, he said, I want you to take this. And I started crying. I did not want to be on meds. And I was like, I don't want this. He just, he said, just, just do it for six months and we'll check back. And then he said, tell me what you used to do. Hmm. Uh, you became a mom. And I, he said, what, what brought you joy? And I said, oh, wow. Well, I said, I used to do art and I used to get great joy out of that. And so <clears throat> he wrote, he took his script out again and he wrote, um, do something that brings you joy. And he tore it off and gave it to me. Wow. Yeah. So uh, that is what started my journey back into art. And I remember getting in the car mm-hmm. and looking at the script and I just started crying. I was like, wow, I hadn't even thought of art for all of these years. And yet it brought me so much joy and be really because that one teacher said something insulting to me that made me ashamed. And then the fact that it took the joy out of when things were being judged or graded, um, I never did it again. And so I went down to Orlando the next day and I bought a bag of clay. And at the time Scott was gone, he was not, he was on the ship. Mm -hmm. So I was alone with the girls. So when the girls were asleep, um, I lit some candles. I put some beautiful music on and I sculpted. And th- that night I sculpted a bust of a mother with twins um, that that I later found out um, was one of these things that in the magazine of twins that used to be there out there, I sent the picture in and they said, if you can replicate this multiple times, we can sell this to people. Wow. But the, way, the way I did the hair on the woman, I couldn't do it. And I, uh-huh. and I never made another piece like that. Mm-hmm. But what that did was it brought me so much joy. It removed me from, uh, from that reality. It put me in another world, which was a form of meditation or Zen, mm-hmm. which People through music or singing or walking or all kinds of forms of, of joy. But that happened to be my form was clay. And um, so I did a few things. But then, you know, when you have children, that's the priority. And I never really got back into it until COVID happened. Ah, okay. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, I did see um, from your Facebook page um, the sculpture of the hands. Um, oh, yeah. I mean, of my which, father's, yes, my which, mom, dad, which I, I'm sorry, can you repeat that? Was it of my, my parents' hands? Yes. Which was or really, was it? Um, I think it was, I thought it was, was it your parents' hands? Yes. Clasping each other. Oh yeah. That was not a sculpture. That was actually a mold that I put my parents in a, in a mold uh-huh. <laughs> and then I poured into the mold so that was it was a sculpture but it was nothing that I personally sculpted okay but it was something really priceless yeah but you, I mean you started sculpting and then you also went into photography yeah so I had always oh my goodness in all of my travels I had a little camera and I would shoot rolls of it in fact when I was in Israel for all those 
all those months, you know, I would go down to the old city of Jerusalem and see, it was like going through a time capsule. You know, there would be Bedouin women on the floor on, on carpets selling fig leaves and dried raisins and almonds, you know, and, and people yelling at you to come buy this and and they would be selling metal car, you know, metal things and wood carvings. And it was just um, bags of burlap, burlap spices, you know, like Mm. heaping bags and the smells and sounds. And and so I would go and shoot and, Uh and just with a regular little camera, but document it. So it was always a part of me. But when I had the girls, um, I, I needed more, I needed a little outlet, like all women need an mm-hmm. outlet just themselves. Um, and so that was my outlet. I, I took a picture of my girls when they were sleeping. What they would do is I would lay them on the bed and they would roll towards each other so that they would nose to nose. That mm. always happened. And so they would sleep nose to nose. And so this one morning I went and I found them facing each other, holding hands. And I took a picture and then I blew it up in black and white on my picture and on my wall and um people would come in the house and go oh who's your photographer i'd love i love that and <sighs> i would say oh, I love that and that's really how it started and so when the girls were in school and i started being more social around other mothers with children that's how my business started it was all word of mouth and in the beginning i didn't even charge anything and then it would be like well maybe i could charge a little bit and then mm-hmm it grew and grew and I I took more classes and I started winning awards and um, ribbons and accolades and trophies and and it was it was awesome that's really Um, amazing I mean you've you've really like you know gone from one art form to another and so now we're going towards your um, well your current one which is the arts workshop but before that I mean I want to find out was the women's art workshops, um, untethered, which I love. I love that name. Was that yeah. was just was that recent or was that um, prior to your um, your hike to which is another thing I want to talk about your hike <laughs> to um, you did this amazing hike to in Spain called El Camino de Santiago, which yeah. you hiked by yourself um, five hundred and fifty six miles, which is 40 days by yourself. So was, yeah. Okay. So tell me about that. And then we can go into the arts workshop. How did that come yeah. about <laughs> the, um, the hike? Well, the, the first thing was the, the workshops came to me when I knew that, cause I have twins mm-hmm. and they have been my whole world. You know, um, I have, I have in addition to my girls, done art, you know, like in the form of photography, Mm -hmm. but they were always my main focus. And because of that, I knew that when they left me and went off to college, I would have this enormous chasm to fill. Mm -hmm. So long before they left to go to college, I wanted to fill that. I didn't want to be one of those moms that just sat and cried. And, you know, I Mm -hmm. wanted to, I wanted to continue growing and thriving. And so I started I don't know, about four years before, maybe when they were freshmen, Mm -hmm. I started thinking about this on my walks. Um, What would I want to do if I was to go to do a retreat? What would I want in it? You know, and I started researching and nothing out there was anything I would want to go on or, or I, I would look at it and go, yeah, but no, I don't want it. You know, they were, there was always something I didn't like about it. So I just thought, why don't I design my own? 
And so when they graduated and went off to college, I then had this really amazing uh, thing to focus on and to plan and dream of. And so I did when they went off to college and a few months later, I did this retreat. My first one was literally flying by the seat of my pants. It was I planned all these wonderful details all the way down to the packets that I sent out with lavender bags and fresh rosemary and the names etched in metal and things. I mean, just really cool putting my heart into it. Mm -hmm. And it was five women. Some I knew, some I didn't know. And these retreats I wanted all to include hiking, art, inspiration, music, and food. And I felt like those things are what all women need, no matter your age, no matter your your uh, career, whether you're a mother or not. All women need those, and so I designed it. And I thought I I rented out a place up Cape Cod. I had never even been there. I was totally flying by the seat of my pants. <laughs> and I I I figured out a price that would pay for the cabin and the food and the things and my it up there and hoping that that people would come. And I told myself, worst case scenario, I lose this little bit of money, but I've learned something, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it filled and we went up there and, you know, women are, are amazing because there's so many different personalities, as you know, when you get women together mm-hmm. and sometimes it's like oil and water. Sometimes somebody can be super opinionated or really offensive or whatever, but this group of women they did not know each other and they left there four days later, best of friends. And mm-hmm. I didn't plan that. I didn't know that would happen. But this magic happened where this, it was almost like onion skins being peeled off. And the core of all of these women were very, felt very safe to be vulnerable. And we all grew from it. It was also moving and beautiful and, oh, fulfilling in so many different ways. And we all left there kind of changed. And I didn't know that would happen. Mm-hmm. But then uh, we came back and word kind of got out. And then the next one I put out, a lot of people wanted to go. And I thought, well, maybe I could do this now for more people. And I rented out a place down in Taos, this Pueblo. And it was beautiful and wonderful. But it was 15 women. And it was too much for me. It was it was too much. It was still wonderful, a wonderful experience. But to me, I realized that I really prefer the smaller, intimate ones. I did another one in Tennessee that was 15, and it was wonderful again. Mm-hmm. But I went back down to five, and that seemed to be the magic number for me. Wow. And I had another one planned where um, COVID canceled it, but mm-hmm. I had seven women. We were going over to Spain. And I rented out a 500-year-old farmhouse right along the Camino. And we were doing all the things. I had everything planned out, soup to nuts, with, you know, the hiking, the art, the inspiration, the music, the food. And we were all, we had our tickets and everything. We were all ready to go. And then they closed it down. (laughs) You know, yeah. So COVID really has affected so many people's lives. Right. But I mean, once, okay, so we're currently in a pandemic, but... Once that restriction is, or once that's it's safe again, would you continue doing art workshops, your women's art workshops? Oh, oh for sure. I mean, what I've been doing during this pandemic is, um, 
isn't it so interesting, you know, worldwide that it's not just, uh, it's not, it's such an interesting thing because it affects humanity worldwide. Mm -hmm. This is not just region. And I find it interesting that we're all united in this historic event, really. And I've always been one that I want to thrive no matter where I am. My mother always said, bloom where you're planted. Hmm. And um, I've always wanted to thrive in whatever situation, even if it's not where I want to be, or even if it's a relationship, whatever it is, you know, learn from it and grow. And so with this, um, you know, it, it kind of has forced people to pull back from their lives. Remember in the beginning, how it was so scary that they said, you know, only one person, essential person can go to the store. And you yes. remember, it, it was so yes, strict. I remember, yep. How scary, really scary it was. And now we have more knowledge on how it spread and everything. But, um, and how I wonder in like a few years, how will this have changed people? Like we don't know yet even how this is going to change us. But um, what it did for me was the story of my my kind of pottery journey was Scott, you know, we were, we were quarantined and Scott was out in the garage cleaning his side. And I had on the other side, uh, old pottery wheel and this old kiln that I got for 200. It was just old rickety broken kiln, but mm-hmm. it, it worked still. And every time I would try and do something, the, the glaze would melt off. And so I was sick of it. I was sick of ruining pots and, and mm-hmm. all that time for nothing. But I thought, you know, I'll clean my side. So I was kind of going in the corner and I realized there were all these partial bags of scraps of clay and bags of dried out clay that had been there for years that I hadn't used. And the interesting, beautiful thing with clay is it's from the earth and you can reclaim it. You can, you can pound it down to, to powder and you can add water and you can a mud and then you put it on plaster and the plaster sucks out the moisture until it's a workable pliable clay mm-hmm. and from that make a piece of art with it it's kind of cool mm-hmm. and then you put fire and it's usable it lasts forever so the whole cycle of that is very i don't know it's beautiful i think so i thought there's nothing else to do why don't i take this clay and, and show the process of it so i started kind of doing these little youtube vi- or not youtube but facebook videos showing us taking this dried clay and here we are making slurry and here we are drying it and wedging it and now I'm throwing it and then I'd show me putting glaze on it and then the firing and they would see this beautiful mug from this slop that I had you know and people were really interested in the in the process of it and so I made I don't know like eight mugs the first batch Mm -hmm. and people started saying are they for sale I'd like to buy one I was like sure I'll sell it and that's how it all started. That's so cool. And then, and then I would do more and more. And then I started to be able to make a little bit of money from that and then buy glazes. And then I bought clay. And then I bought, I was able to even save enough that I was able to buy a new kiln. Mm-hmm. And people watched this whole process until now, you know, the stuff sells out like in nine minutes. They sell out on, on Facebook. It's, it's amazing, this journey. That's really and I awesome. so much joy. And now the ironic thing is I have a broken arm and I'm no longer to do that. And I'm trying to now thrive in a new situation where I can't do any art. I'm sitting literally, I can't move my arm. Mm. And it's another kind of challenge with my mind of how do I continue to grow, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and you will, <laughs> because you, you are <laughs> that kind of person, you know, who just like goes from 
one adventure into the next and and going back to the um your pottery and i love what you call it wildly unrefined artisan yeah. pottery and i think it's so fitting because it's really your um it's like your gift to the world you know oh, it's so sweet i'll it tell is. you what i really do absolutely put my heart into every single piece and no piece is alike they're all I know, different i know i mean you I, I love what I've seen on Facebook of the mugs that you've made, and not, and each one is unique. Um, and it really stems back to the fact that you have a way about you that's not that that's not like that's unique and uncharacteristic of most people. And I think part of it is because of where you came from, probably, and how you view the world. I you know? do think. It always comes back to our roots. You know, I was watching a, a show today about a chef and she had gotten into the world, you know, of really high end competition in New York City. And she was so miserable, making a ton of money, so miserable. And she went back to Georgia and she went walking bare in her um in her town, in her her land, and she cried. And because that's where if you look at your own life or your husband's life, you look at your children, where do we come from and what is so sacred to us? And it's where our roots are. It's where when I, oh my gosh, it makes me emotional. When I, I hadn't been home to Alaska oh, for years because I had been traveling and I hadn't been there for maybe 12 years. Mm. And I flew home and I remember landing and walking out on the spit, which is a piece of land that I grew up on, and breathing that salt, briny air and just sobbing and just hearing the ocean. And wow, it was in myself. Mm. And I realized that that's for all of us. I'm not alone. Yeah. You know, every one of us could go back to where we were born, take our shoes off and walk in that dirt, and it would bring us back to our childhood. It's a beautiful thing. Almost definitely. Every time I go back to New York now, you know, and even though I haven't been back in the neighborhood I used to live in or I grew up in, still, I mean, because it, it is so much different, of course, now. Um, but yeah. even coming back and then seeing, you know, the or seeing the sights and just listening to the sounds, it does bring you back. It brings me back all the time. And different yeah. experiences, you know, for each one of us, but it always reminds me like, oh, okay, this is where I started. And yes. I've gone a long way, but it always brings me back to, you know, really amazing memories of the people I've met, the, the friends I've made, and still have. You know, it's really yes. amazing. And oh, that is home for me, you know, between uh -huh. my daughters, where my daughter is now, and where I grew up. Those have been home. Um, yeah. And it really comes back to, like you said, you know, just remembering your roots. And it's um, funny because I, I you know, um, it's kind of hard for me to do that because I grew up in, I mean, I, I was born in the Philippines, came to this country when I was 11, 12. Um, so my memories of the Philippines were when I was little. So while I still have family there, I have 
aunts and uncles and tons of cousins. It's not the same. Although I wish that, you know, I could go back. Well, hopefully one day I can with my family. But it does, it does, like, you know, it's totally different experiences. Um, But I I love that you, you go back to your roots and then it stems from, from that where your journey is now, you know. (laughs) So, so going towards, so the next thing I want to ask you is about El Camino. Um, And the hike there was, I mean, from what I've seen so far, it's pretty incredible. So can you tell us a little bit, can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, um, I had never heard of it before, like a lot of people. And uh, my daughter, Tori, has a friend who came over one night with her backpack and and a sleeping bag and everything and said, Tori, because Tori's very organized, mm-hmm. she said, Tori, I need you to help me pack my bag because I'm leaving in the morning to Spain with my dad. And we're and and as she was talking, she said she's going on this hike with her dad for a few weeks and then he's leaving and she's hiking on it. And I was like, wait, what? What are you going to do this? What is it? And so, yeah, so um, she left and I started researching it and I kind of became obsessed with it. I was fascinated by the the history of it and the story behind it and how wonderful it is that uh, this is, you know, 1200 years old and people are still doing it and it's a, a spiritual pilgrimage, but yet uh, it can be different for every person walking it. Mm-hmm. And so I realized I really wanted to go experience this. And so the following year, I had an opportunity. Um, my husband at the time uh, was working for a company called Windstar Cruise Line, which are these small yachts that go into these exotic ports of call. Mm-hmm. And my, my niece and I went on a niece and aunt trip. And it was a 10-day kind of a beautiful cruise going from uh, hugging the Italian and uh, French Riviera all along the water and ending in Barcelona. Mm. And this is my opportunity. So I, we, she and I had this amazing experience, you can imagine, on all these, oh, all these beautiful ports of call. And then we ended up in, in Barcelona. And my niece flew home and I asked another girlfriend of mine, to join me for uh, another two weeks in Spain to experience just to see the beginning, the middle and the end of this Camino. And I thought, I just need to see it. And then I'll Mm -hmm. check it off, move on. Mm -hmm. But what happened was I came home and I, I I was almost like obsessed with it. Every, it was in my thoughts, in my dreams. I studied it. When I went on my little daily walks, I thought about it and I, I realized I have to go do this myself. And so I went to my husband, who's really awesome and supportive. And I didn't want to ask his permission, but I needed his blessing. I wanted his blessing. And so I asked him, I said, I really, really desperately want to go on this. I explained it to him. And he said, if that's what you want to do, go, go do it. Wow. So I started planning it and I, uh, I left. I, I allowed myself 40 days so that I would have a couple days padding on the beginning and the end. And if something happened in the middle, I would have a few days. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know anything. I was 100% flying by the seat of my pants. And what happened was um, when I, I, I brought my phone, but when I changed my orange card, which is your, your card in your phone, uh, 
it it jumbled all of my numbers and everything. So I was without the capability of using my phone oh, for no. the whole. I was unable to research anything. I could FaceTime my husband, and that was it. I oh, FaceTimed wow. and my parents. I was never on my phone. I would walk into a city hoping that there would be an albergue available. <laughs> uh, that's how that's how I did. And I I got I asked directions. I had to ask people for things. I I spoke very very broken Spanish to get by. I relied on the the, the kindness of strangers, and I got lost a lot, but I made it. Um, I had all these just amazing experiences, and um, I I came home whole and changed. Wow, it was amazing. But I know it's. I mean, I saw, you know, I glimpsed towards the end of your journey, and what caught my eye was towards the end, you created the word ultrea with yes. Camino shells. So can you yeah. tell me what that word means and what it means to you? Yes. Okay. So the, the history of, of, uh, El Camino is, is a beautiful one. Um, and really quickly it's where one of the apostles of Christ, St. James went up to, uh, Northern Spain on the coast and he started there and he started preaching along Spain. And, um, he ended up going back to Jerusalem. They beheaded him. Mm. They brought his body back to Spain and buried him in, in uh, a cave somewhere. And supposedly a monk found him and knew that this was a saint. And they started this cathedral in Santiago. And so word got out that the bones of this saint um, were here. And so that's how the pilgrimage started. It, mm. it, people from wherever in Europe would hear about this and they'd leave from their home and they would walk wherever they were. Well, the, the French way or the the, the uh, parallel, the, the east-west way um, is the most popular, and that's the French way is the way I walked, which is 500 miles. And so the people from, you know, uh, all different areas would meet at the French Pyrenees and then cross over across Spain. And, um, you know, they were told, the interesting thing is that in Belgium, even today, they will take a few people out of jail and they will say, if you document that you have walked this 500 miles, you've shown that you've walked it, you will be released. You will be forgiven of your sins. That's because incredible. They know, that, wow. they know that this walk changes people, that being out in nature, moving your body, thinking, um, pondering, going deep, that it will change you. And so during this walk, this word ultrea came up. And basically, it's a Latin word that means go deeper, go farther, mm. you know, and reach inside and and it's a beautiful word and when i when i reached santiago i was like i'm getting a tattoo and i was with the, <laughs> the same tattoo and i didn't want it you know i didn't want it anywhere that anybody could see so i was going to put it on the inside of my middle finger as an artist that i could always see it mm -hmm. and the guy said hey if i do it there it's going to it's going to, it's going to look really bad and it'll peel and stuff so i i ended up not getting it which i'm grateful i didn't <laughs> But yeah, it was it was very meaningful. It's a beautiful word, and wow. um, you know, it's we all we all could use that. You know. Yeah. So why do you think it's important to create to create creative outlet um, outlets for women? Wow, you know, I think it's actually for everybody. It doesn't 
creative outlet could be anything. You know, um, what's sad to me is they're cutting out art programs in schools, not only here in America, but in Europe too. Mm -hmm. And if you look at anything, like anything that's amazing, Steve Jobs, you know, the Apple computers, um, anything that's that's beautiful, uh, architecture, this is all art based. Mm -hmm. It's artists with science, with, with math, you know, it's all combined. And I think it makes the world more beautiful and what art does in whatever form it is. And art can be anything. It doesn't have to be paint or music or dance or anything. It can be anything that brings you joy. I think that is an important part of each of us, you know, and I think especially during this time of this pandemic and quarantine, when we are isolated from our loved ones and where our faces are covered, where we can't smile and see a beautiful, mm. where we can't go to churches and we can't communicate uh, through song and hugs and prayer and, uh, you know, even going to restaurants, it's, it's isolating, um, that we all need to reach inside of us and, and ask the question, you know, what brings me joy and, and how can I put more of that in? to my life. And it's not a selfish question. I think it's an important one. And I think that the the retreats that I lead, I don't gear towards artists. I don't put it out to artists. I put it out to not artists that or people that feel they're not an artist because I think everyone's an artist. Mm -hmm. But I put it out there to people who have never painted and never sculpted and never worked with clay because I want to introduce them to the joy of using your hands or your imagination painting out of the box. You know, I had a, a, a woman who was a lawyer who felt very uncomfortable and intimidated by picking up a pen and, and, and drawing with it. it. She needed more rules. She needed more description of what to do. And I was like, paint out of the line. It's okay. Mm -hmm. You know, there's just these little things that give you the freedom that there's not any mistake made. You, you just do it and, and you grow. And it's such a beautiful thing. That's so that's really beautiful. And thank you for sharing that. It's and it's so important, like you said, especially nowadays, you know, when when we are confined in our own spaces, you know, yeah. some more than others, you do need an outlet, you do need a way to express a, um, your joy or your love of of anything, you know, life included. So it is very yeah. important, and and thank you for saying that. Um, so that I I actually read two quotes that I love, that you said that I love. Um, first one is I believe that our life is a book. We write, design, and create our chapters. And then the second one is the greatest growth is on the other side of fear. Yes, those yeah. jumped at me, and I'm like, where where did these beliefs come from for you? I know I get most of my strength from my mom, mm. which I want to in, but I really do. She has been the greatest source of inspiration and example of strength in my life. Um, and that's really where I get it. My, mm. here's the, my mother hates to fly. You, you have to she won't fly. She will not fly. And yet she fully supports me getting on an airplane and going across the world. She's terrified. Everything I have ever done, <laughs> she's terrified. 
he's terrified. Think of, you know, your daughter going off alone in Spain or where, you know, back alone at 22 mm-hmm. for six weeks alone, right? With two guys. Um, th- but she, she never, she never held me back from my dreams, even though it wasn't hers. And that to me is true unconditional love. And because of her, cause you know, I, 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 I would respect her if she said, I don't want you to go. Maybe when I was a kid, I probably wouldn't have, mm-hmm. you know, to expect, but she didn't do that to me. She allowed me to blossom as who I was. And then that's why I'm so grateful to her. Um, as far as the side of fear growth quote that I love, um, I just really truly believe everything. When I look at my own personal life, everything that I have done, as I say in, in these chapters in my life, they have been scary. And, and I haven't, uh, oftentimes gone in with blind faith that it'll turn out, it's going to end up fine, which always has so far. Um, but it is scary but in the end, it's always been a grand adventure where I've grown. Wow. I love that. And it's so true. You know, I think everyone who takes a, who takes a leap, you know, you don't know where you're going to land. But no. most times you're grateful that you did. Um, and that's something that I kind of try to do um, yes. as much as possible. You know, um, and and I I love that motto or that saying because that that really stuck with me. Yeah, and I really try. You know, like lately, it's it, I'm in an amazing kind of part in a stage in my life where um, my parents are aging; they're in their eighties, and my husband and I he tired, and I'm seeing another change in a phase of our life, mm-hmm. and then my my daughters both are 24 and one is engaged and one just bought her own house. And I'm seeing all of us in these new phases of life. And I'm so, I don't know, utterly aware of mortality and time and how precious time is to us. And um, the time with my parents, I know is not long. Mm -hmm. I just know it's so short and I need to see them as much as possible and they live 3000 miles away and it, and it aches to, to not be there. But yet I call, you know, as much as I can. Um, and I, and yet I, I'm so grateful for the stage that my daughters are at and they're thriving and they're just starting their lives really, you know? Yeah. And then my husband has had this amazing career and he's ending and he's going through this transition of trying to figure out where do I fit in? What do I want to do? you know, with the rest of my life. And it's just an amazing, like how life is in these chapters. It really is. And I'm seeing it vividly in front of me. And and that's why I just, I want to use whatever time I have left on this earth, whatever time I have, I want to lean forward into it. Mm-hmm. I want to grow and learn and thrive wherever I'm at. And that's, that's really what my goal is. Wow. That's beautiful. Thank you for that. Um, it's something for anyone to really look into, you know, especially, like you said, for those who is experiencing so much um, isolation or even, you know, um, being away from loved ones. And as you get older, you know, you're, you're realizing, like you said, the mortality of, yeah. of the, your mortality. So 
it is, it's very important. And it's, it really takes you back to like, okay, wow, you know, 20 years ago, this was what I was doing. And yeah, you keep moving on, you keep going forward. And hopefully you're growing at the same time. So that's really, that's really awesome. Um, Is there a message you would like to, um, to say to women about art and creativity and how they can, or even creating art and creativity in their own lives and incorporating joy? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think, uh, oftentimes what happens to us as women, whether you're a mother or not, I think that a lot of times um, uh, we put our joy on hold or on the back burner and we do priorities and we do work and we do things that are obligations to us, putting our own joy on the sideline. And I remember even one of my great joys is I love to read. I love to read. And I never felt I could, uh, with a clear conscience when the girls were younger, that I could just sit, curl up on the couch with a blanket and a cup of tea or coffee and just read a good book. I never felt that luxury. I felt like it was a luxury. Mm. And I realize now that I deserved to do that at the time. I deserved to give myself an hour of just uninterrupted time to myself of curling up and reading. And I, and I oftentimes didn't do that because I felt guilt, like, oh, I can't do this now. I have laundry to do. I have, mm-hmm. I have to put those dishes away. And, um, and I think that we just as women, we, we do that. We oftentimes put ourselves second because of obligations. And so I think women, all women, should look at themselves and ask, what brought me joy before all the obligations? What did I love to do as a kid that I haven't done for years because adulthood came and responsibilities came. And I would challenge everybody out there to go back to your roots, find what brought you joy, and maybe dig that idea back up. Or if you were wanting to try a business or you wanted to always, I always wanted to play the guitar or I always wanted to go to this place. How about you start researching that and maybe make plans in 2021 to go do that? I think it would be a wonderful thing. Oh, I love that. I love all those possibilities, you know, that are basically open to everybody. And one just has to reach out and really grab a hold of it and see where it lands, right? You have to, you have to be proactive in planning. And I know that everything I've done in my life in the past has been because I've had an idea, but then I've also done action with it. Mm -hmm. And I, what most people do is they have an idea, but then it, it, it gets put out you know, right. and, um, so you do have to do the actions with it Yeah, and, you know, but, but it's a perfect opportunity for all of us, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's a brand new year coming. It's a yeah. fresh new start hoping, and the vaccine is here and maybe things are going to start changing. I'm always optimistic, changing in the right direction, that they'll open the borders and maybe we can travel again soon, but yeah. even can't to bl- like my mother says you know bloom where you're planted just make the most of our time it's it's short it's yeah. short it's short I love that bloom where you've planted that's amazing I love that quote um and the one thing I would love to ask you is if you were if you could go back in time what would you tell your younger self oh hmm 
I think that uh, I think that there were times that I maybe felt I wasn't good enough, maybe, hmm. or maybe uh, maybe in ways I would doubt myself and different things, and just I guess I would tell myself to have more faith, have mm-hmm. more faith in yourself and just go forward, which I I think ultimately I did, but I still doubted, you know. Well, yeah, but but you've really like put yourself out there so many times and you know whether you were confident enough I think you kind of rode past it which was which is incredible you know you always managed I think for me it from what I've read and just talking to you you've always found a way to say okay I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do my research and did it yeah yeah yeah. I think one of the one of the scariest things I did, this sounds silly, but one of the scariest things I did was I was a tour director um, on the West Coast through the Canadian Rockies. And what this was, was a two week bus train tour. Um, you meet in Seattle, I would meet a group of people, 37 people, mostly from New York and California. And for two weeks, I had them. And we would go up to Vancouver, and then we'd get on a train and go through the Canadian Rockies, get back on a, tr- a bus, and then come back to Seattle. Two-week tour, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I did one tour. I sat in the back of the bus watching the tour director, taking notes every day. And then the next day, I had to pick up my own group of adults oh, and wow. pretend and pretend like I had been doing this for months because you don't want these people paying six grand a piece to be with somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And that morning I remember being in the hotel, getting ready to go to the airport to pick up this group of 37 strangers from New York, (laughs) having them for two weeks and having to pretend like I knew what I was doing. And I remember throwing up in the, in the bathroom. From nerves, and yet I looked at myself in the mirror and like, just let's just let's just do this. Let's just let's just do this, you know. And so I got to the airport and I had all this pretend confidence and acted like I knew what I was doing, and um, everything was going great. And one woman said, "Where's the bathroom?" And I didn't know where the bathroom was. I was telling, but I didn't know where the bathroom. I was like that one detail I forgot, you know, but, um, but it ended up turning out to be another wonderful experience of growth and challenges and, you know, moving forward again. But, but that was one of those things where I was just like, nope, just throw up and move forward. (laughs) I love that. Oh my gosh. Wow. Oh my gosh. Well, Jeannie James. Uh, So if anyone would like to find out more about, your YouTube channel, it's called, I love this, Alaskan Pilgrim. That's who you are, right? Yeah. Okay. And so I will have that, um, I will have that on the site with your YouTube channel. Um, But is there anything else you'd like to say before, you know, we end our conversation? Oh, no, Tess, I just want to thank you for for uh, taking time to chat with me. It was wonderful. Oh, Jeannie, uh, this was such a great, great conversation. And I really loved getting to know you and all the opportunities that you've gone through and all the adventures. And, you know, it's, it's really wonderful, you know, getting to know what you've, what you've been, what you've been doing and continue to do. And I really hope the art workshops 
you know, when your hand is healed <laughs> and, you know, when we're safer, that, you know, when the world is safer again, that you'll continue. And I would love for you to come back and talk to us again about it. You know, oh, so, thank you so much, Tessa. I appreciate And oh I, do have ideas. I do have ideas for uh, new workshops um, called Renaissance, which means new beginnings. And oh. I, that is going to be in 2021 in a safe way. I'm trying to arrange it with five women in a oh, safe cool. space. Way. But but that's that's coming next year for sure. Oh, that's but awesome. thank you for, um, for all that you do for this beautiful new podcast and, and talking to women that are giving back. And I feel so honored to be a part of that. Oh, thank you for saying yes. And I really, really appreciate the time that you've uh, spent with me. So thank you again. And I will speak with you soon. All right. Thank you, Tess. Okay, bye-bye. That's our show for today. I've posted more information about Jeannie James, her private women's art retreats untethered, and her journey across Spain as the Alaskan pilgrim on YouTube on RevWoman.com. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll tune in every Thursday for another episode of Revolutionary Women. You can listen to Revolutionary Women on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Just a little note. I've launched a Patreon account to support the show. All proceeds will go to producing and editing the episodes to give my poor husband a break for being my personal IT and production department. He wrote this. The address is patreon.com slash revwoman. 